tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. We made this. Welcome back to the Movie Palace. As ever, I'm your host, Carl Sweeney. This is the first new episode of the podcast for a few months, and we return to a different world. Since the coronavirus crisis began, too many of us have lost people we care about or been separated from those we love. For most of us, we're currently living under restrictions we would have considered unimaginable just a short time ago. And to everyone listening, I'd like to say that I hope you are and continue to be safe and well. I know that the day will come when we can be with our friends again, when we can travel freely again, when we can go to the movies again. But we're not there yet, and that's very much the situation we're going to talk about on this episode. So today we're talking about classic film in the age of lockdown. And I'm delighted to be joined today by someone who's been with me on so many episodes before, uh, Raquel Stetcher. Hi, Raquel. Hi, Carl. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Um... How are you, first of all? I mean, what what are the kind of restrictions where you're living? Are you completely locked down? How's it going? Yeah, we're under um, a form of lockdown. So all non-essential businesses are closed. Um, I'm working from home um, and limiting, you know, basically trying to stay at home as much as possible. And we've been recommended, you know, wearing masks in public and our, um, you know, our main city here, the capital city here in Boston is um, has a curfew. So that's what's been going on over here. Yes, yeah, somewhat similar to us. I mean, here in the UK, and we're recording this on uh, the 10th of April, just so people know, obviously, it's a fluid situation. But we can only leave home for very limited reasons. We can leave home once a day for exercise. We can leave home to buy essential items, to get medical care, to support vulnerable people. I'm fairly fortunate. I'm able to work from home. So disruption's not been too bad, but uh, the schools are closed, of course, for most kids, and both my children are at home. Um, what Before we turn to films, which is obviously what we're here to talk about, but what, what's your sort of general approach to, to getting through this? How do you find the best way to sort of keep going at a time like this? What I've been doing is I make sure I get ready every single morning. I put on my makeup, I do my hair, I get fully dressed, I put shoes on, even if I'm just going from, you know, the bedroom to the living room. <laughs> I have a very short commute now. So getting ready every single morning um, has been really great for me just to just to make me um, feel like I have a purpose and I'm going somewhere, even if it's just, you know, another room in the house. So that's been really good. And also keeping busy. So I've been working from home from Monday through 
Thursday. And then the rest of the time I devote to um, film reviewing. You know, I've been reviewing South by Southwest films because that went online because that had to be canceled. And I've been working on lots of really mm -hmm. great um, classic film articles for Turner Classic Movies and just some projects. So keeping really busy and being um, kind of strict with myself with a schedule has been very helpful. Yeah, and I think, well, of course, it's very different for different people, depending on the situation, isn't it? I mean, yeah. some people, like, we've been fairly lucky in that we can continue to work from home. For some people, their job just isn't viable anymore, you know, and um, so whatever works for people works for people, I guess. But for me, it's somewhat similar to you. I think routine's quite important. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm still, I set an alarm every morning, I make sure I get up at a reasonable time, I'm making sure I shave as regularly as I, you know, would be normally. Um, I've got plenty to do. So yeah, I, I find that helpful. I have things to look forward to. I try and plan a couple of things each day to look forward to. So yeah, day by day, that's how I'm kind of taking it. Um, but it's weird. I mean, yeah, just, just to give people, I mean, it's not the biggest deal at the minute at all, but like the day we were recording today, I should actually have been getting married today. Um, we were supposed Aww. to be going to Las Vegas to get married. And yeah, lots of people are in a similar boat, I think. And yeah, it just highlights what a strange, strange time it is, I think. Um, let's move on to talk about uh, classic films, which is what we do best, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, just before we do, actually, one, one thing I should mention to listeners is that um, the podcast has joined the We Made This podcast network. You probably will have heard the, uh, the ident at the start of the episode. There should be no disruption for regular listeners. If you were subscribed before and you're listening now, that hopefully means um, your subscription has carried on as normal. But in any case, I'll be talking a bit more about uh, We Made This on the next episode with um, Tony Black, who's the, the chief of that network. But I'll just flag that up now. Let's talk a bit, Raquel, about the effect we think the current crisis has had and will have on the film industry. And, and you've mentioned uh, things like South by Southwest and... I know you were planning on going to things like the TCM Classic Film Festival. And of course, a lot, a lot of events have kind of just gone out the window, haven't they? So, um, yeah, what do you what do you make of the current situation in that regard? Yeah, it's been such a strange couple of months. I mean, it all really started with South by Southwest getting canceled. That was like the first domino that just started the domino effect and everything else got canceled. Yep. I mean, we can't go to the movie theater. We can't go to film festivals. We can't really do much of anything. So the whole industry is kind of shut down. There's no movie productions. There's nothing. The big, the, the thing that was the most painful was the TCM Classic Film Festival being canceled. And as days um, progress closer and closer to that, that was supposed to happen, um, a week from now. And I, I was just like, this is not going to happen. This is, this is no way that this festival is going to happen. And but when it was finally canceled, it just broke my heart because, um, you know, I love classic movies, but it's also a big family reunion. That's when I see all my friends that, you know, who are spread uh, across the states from Canada, mm -hmm. from other countries. Um, we all we reunited this festival. Um, we share our love for classic movies. We see each other. We give each other hugs. We can't do that this year. And it's really painful. Um, but they have a they they developed a a TCM special at home edition that they're hosting. It's going to be both on their channel and online. That'll be nice, but it it won't be the same as being in person with everybody and seeing the special guests and being in Hollywood. And even I've noticed some some changes um, and other things too. I mean, our, we're, we're much more um, dependent on streaming now because we can't go mm -hmm. out to the movie theater. A lot of a lot of movies are being um, released 
digitally now. And also just like one of my favorite companies, Warner Archive, which is a division of Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. um, the Warner Brothers shop uh, had to stop shipping product because of a California order for non-essential businesses to close. So they're not yeah. selling anything. And who knows if this will hurt you know, other distributors of classic films or any remaining video stores that are, you know, still out there, still selling Mm -hmm. DVDs and Blu-rays, who knows what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm worried about that, but I'm also hopeful that maybe, maybe they'll continue still. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how things continue, like you say, and, you know, people will turn to things like streaming services, which we'll discuss on this episode, I think, but I'm very concerned about the effect that the economic disruption will have, I've got to say. I mean, generally and specifically in relation to the film industry. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really worried about some of the independent cinemas that I go to here in the UK, for instance. So I'm talking about fantastic places like the Electric Cinema in Birmingham, the Lighthouse Cinema in Wolverhampton. And people listening can kind of think about, you know, the places that are closest to them. But I just feel desperately sorry for everyone whose livelihoods is tied up you know, one way or another in screening films to people in a cinema setting. And I'm kind of worried that what's going on could kind of exacerbate this underlying trend, you know, because cinema attendances have been gradually declining for decades. Right. Um, I, I just don't think going to the movies is as much a part of national life now as it used to be, mm-hmm. you know, certainly in days like the 1930s, for instance. And we've had all these other things come up over the decades, like the rise of TV and you know, all types of entertainment. And these days it's, yeah, it's the Netflixes of this world. And I don't know. I mean, once we get to the new normal, whatever that looks like, right. I feel fairly sure that people will still want to go to like restaurants like they did before, for instance. But mm-hmm. will as many people still want to go and sit in a crowded cinema with people they don't know? I mean, I hope so, but I don't know. I hope so too. Yeah. Another comparison I'd make is thing, something like the decline in the printed news industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people who regularly buy newspapers, for instance, they'll just get used to finding their information elsewhere during this crisis. And I don't know, I'm not sure all old habits will return the other side of this. But I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Um, What's your sense? I do admire the independent theaters here um, in my area. They're trying some really interesting virtual things. Like there's um, the Coolidge Corner Theater here, um, just outside of Boston, is doing virtual seminars um, we have another theater nearby who is doing like a um, curbside um, concession stand. So you can go and get like mm-hmm. popcorn and soda and candy and help support the theater that way. And some of the independent theaters are also doing um, virtual um, releases with um, different distributors. So they'll release yeah. like you can buy your virtual, you know, ticket for this online premiere through your local theater and watch a brand new movie online. And mm-hmm. so they're collaborating. So I think we're going to see a lot of virtual events that will help support these stores or things like the the curbside you know, pop up. That's I, I think that's a very clever idea. I hope this helps support them and get them through that. And then also just yep. keep, you know, them in the minds of the community so that when we do, uh, when we are able to go back to the cinema, that they'll keep supporting them. Yeah. And that, that kind of innovation that you talk about that, that's right. an interesting thing to kind of observe, I think. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how the wider industry responds, because we're seeing things, like I think today even, I think Universal's releasing the new Trolls uh, film, straight to streaming. Mm-hmm. I think Disney is sending a film called Artemis Fowl straight to Disney+. Plus. So yeah, time will tell whether they're kind of the canaries in the coal mine, or 
do things kind of snap back to how they were before as soon as it's practically possible uh, right. that, that can happen. But we will see. We will see. On on a more kind of abstract point, I guess. I mean, just personally speaking, how important do you think films are to us? I mean, us personally or people generally uh, at a time like this? Um, very important, I'd say. But what, what do you think? So I think... Um, films and classic films especially offer two yep. things in particular. It offers us a way to escape from our reality and for us and, and the opposite side of that, it allows us to process our emotions. So um, on the escape part part of it, like it offers us um, an opportunity to step out of our reality for a little while mm-hmm. to go into another world into another existence to, to another time, especially with classic films. If you're watching something from the 30s 40s 50s just to escape and to experience somebody's somebody else's life and just to just to disconnect from what you're going through right now which i think is really important because you need to give yourself breaks this is all about self-care if we're going to get through this we really have to take care of ourselves and this is something that art in general does for us it you know whether it's you know music literature movies paintings whatever art you're attracted to it helps you escape from from what you're going through at this moment um and on the other side of that it also helps us process emotions i mean we're feeling anger fear sadness and then it helps us just to see other people going through those emotions and allowing us to process those emotions. But it also like a, a funny film would help us, you know, bring out the happiness that might have been buried inside, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's different ways that films, depending on what you watch, help you process emotions. I know that I absolutely need classic movies at a time like this because, you know, with so much stress and everything that's going on and being bombarded by the news, I just need to take a break. I need to escape into classic film and just mm-hmm. just be somewhere else for a little while. Yeah, I mean, that that's very similar to what I was going to say, actually. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say classic films, or films generally, are very important at a time like this. And the only caveat I would add is that, there have, I mean, for me personally, there have been times recently where I just haven't been able to get in the right kind of headspace to watch a film. Mm-hmm. But the best way through that for me is just to try as best as possible to remove all of the distractions. You know, I think things like turning off your phone notifications, leaving the phone in another room. I think just especially important at a time when there's a lot of breaking news and so much of the news is so upsetting at the the present time. Uh, But yeah, I mean, they're massively important films. And it's what you say. It's like the cinema screen or I suppose the television screen or Mm -hmm. the laptop screen or the phone (laughs) screen uh, these days. It becomes a window into another world. And yeah. At a time when the world outside our front doors is so troubling, to be able to disappear somewhere else, somewhere else, you know, if temporarily, is a great thing. And yeah, I think it's true of all types of national cinemas. It's true of all types of subject matter, but it's especially true of like mainstream American cinema, which has consistently offered like diverting alternatives at a time of broader hardship. So I'm thinking of, for instance, the prevalence of like escapist, optimistic fare during times like the Great Depression, the Second World War. Right. I'm thinking of things like the turn towards fantasy storytelling after 9-11. So these are not the only things that Hollywood does and does well, but it's generally something Hollywood does particularly well. So yeah, at a time when the news is so alarming, I can think of few better ways to distract yourself uh, from that than turning back the clock and watching a classic film. And that's kind of what we're here to point people towards today, isn't it? So we're going to talk a bit about 
some of the ways people can keep abreast of classic films at the minute, um, whether it's through streaming services or, or whatnot. We're also going to talk about some different categories of films people might enjoy at the present moment. So yeah, let's start with the former. So what do you think are some of the best ways to keep abreast of classic film at the moment, Raquel? What would you like to sort of discuss for people anyway? So I wanted to discuss um, just some services that are available in the States here uh, for people to enjoy uh, that offer classic movies or movies in in general. Um, The biggest one right now for streaming is Criterion Channel. Uh, before yep. we used to have Filmstruck, which was a combination of the Criterion Channel and offerings from Turner Classic Movies, as well as um, some other distributors um, other than Criterion. And it was a great service, but it ended up getting canceled, uh, it, it shut down. So what we have now is just the Criterion Channel. But Criterion Channel has so many wonderful classic movies, lots of really great groupings. I was uh, enjoying their um, series on um, Sidney Poitier, and I got to watch some films of his that I hadn't seen before and revisit some other ones. So they have the probably the best collection mm-hmm. of classic films for streaming. And then um, I know a lot of people have Netflix streaming, but Netflix streaming mm-hmm. has very few classic movies on there. But they still have their um, DVD Netflix, which is their DVD rental service. You can, It comes in the mail in a red envelope and you get either a DVD or Blu-ray depending on what subscription you have and they still have a lot of classic movies um i actually am a writer for them and mm-hmm. i write mostly about classic movies for them and they still have quite a good collection and it's a great way to check out a classic movie that you don't necessarily want to purchase but maybe you want to try it out and it's not available on a streaming service because not everything is and then there's some other really great ways to watch. Like uh, I had mentioned TCM, Turner Classic Movies. They have Watch TCM, which is um, basically a way to catch the films that were on their channel, um, but you might have missed. And if you don't have a way to record them, that's a great way to catch up. And they will keep them for a good a good while. I think it's I think it's seven days, but they also do. I've seen some movies last there up to a month, and they have um, introductions too from the channel. So that's a really great way to catch up on some classic movies. I've used that before, and. Um, for anyone who's maybe tight on money, which a lot of us are, yeah. um, there are two services that are free that I highly recommend that have a lot of classic movies. The first one is The Film Detective. They actually restore um, public domain films. Now, you can watch public domain films on YouTube, but they're usually of terrible quality. These are... Yeah. These are um, restored and they're in a much better presentation. You can pay for the service and not have ads or you can watch it for free with ads. And I don't think that that's a bad deal because on YouTube, you have to watch ads anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And another service that's similar is Tubi. T-U-B-I. Um, they have a wide range of films and television shows, but they actually have quite a bit, quite a, quite a few classic movies. Like they have a whole genre of classic movies that you can, you can uh, click on. And it's, it's, a, I think it was like maybe over a hundred or maybe a couple hundred options. Also, it's free, but with ads. And there's very few ads during the movie. So it's not a bad deal. Yeah. And one thing that I also rely on are are sites like iTunes, and there's mm-hmm. also a um, Kino Lorber, 
who distributes a lot of classic movies, has Kino TV. And these are, they're not, it's like not a traditional streaming service where you have a subscription, but it's more like you, you can either rent or you can purchase a film digitally. And they both have a lot of classic movies. Warner Archive has their own channel on iTunes and they have a bunch of their, their movies. I believe Bachelor Mother is on iTunes if you want to rent it. So <laughs> that's an option. So there's a lot of, a lot of really great options, you know, so, um, in, in all of them online. Um, and so if you need classic movies and you're in the States, you have a wealth of options. Yeah, there are there are a wealth of options, and that's good. That's given me some homework because I wasn't familiar with Two um, B. I haven't heard of that one, uh, so I have to see if that's available in the UK. I think that's always the issue. Something like the Criterion Channel, for instance, isn't available over here. Um, one I was going to flag up for people is the Mubi streaming service. Yes. Yeah, which is one of my favourite uh, streaming services. Now, if you want to try this, you can get a seven days free trial. Uh, in the UK, it's nine pounds ninety nine a month thereafter. Or I think it works out at seven ninety nine a month if you take out the yearly subscription. And one other thing I'd flag up for people, which is really good, is that you can get this, if you're a film student, you can get this service for free. Now, the gimmick with this uh, service is it only streams 30 films at any one time. So once a, once a film goes onto the service, it's 30 days until it drops off. So every day one film drops off and a new film comes on. Now, this is not just classic stuff, but it's all kinds of like art house and international cinema too. So I think today's new film, for instance, is uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But oh. it pretty regularly, yeah, which is a great film. I love that movie, yes. One of the last films I saw at a cinema. Oh. <laughs> and it was a good one. Um, but yeah, this pretty regularly offers things from classic Hollywood. So in the past few months, I've watched things like Pillow Talk on there. Um, they had Vertigo and Rear Window on there. I think on New Year's Eve, I watched The Incredible Shrinking Man. So... I'd recommend Mubi. It's my favorite of the streaming services because it feels curated. Mm. So, like I said, only 30 films at any one time. But that's actually a good thing in my book because there's not much like time fatigue involved in searching. That's the thing I yes. find with Netflix. Like Unless you go on and know what you want to watch, you can kind of end up scrolling up and down endlessly. I don't know if you find that too. Oh, yes. And I hate recommendations. I usually know what I want to oh, watch. Yeah. So I'm always digging. <laughs> yeah. Well, just on the, on the subject of Netflix, I was going to mention uh, classic film options on Netflix UK. Okay. Now, Netflix UK is not great for classic films, but there is some stuff on there. There is a cl- classic films category, uh, which has films such as The Stranger, the Orson Welles film, mm-hmm. uh, Fritz Lang's the woman, the woman in the Window. It also has A Shot in the Dark, West Side Story, The Great Escape. But then the majority of their classic films category is more recent stuff, so the 70s and 80s kind of stuff. However, if you do a bit more digging, you can find things like uh, Let There Be Light, which is a John Huston documentary about war veterans from 1946. So there are a few kind of curiosities on there, but really the choice isn't great. So I I know a lot of people have Netflix, though, so I thought it'd be interesting to flag that up. Mm -hmm. So there are some things on there to satisfy fans of older films, but nowhere near enough for my tastes. But I get the sense from what I've heard from talking to people that the Netflix US catalogue is quite different in terms of what they got streaming. So... um, I don't know. I'm in the US. Have you got slightly more choice? Not for classic movies. No, we have oh, okay. The Stranger, and we have um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and maybe a couple other films. I was looking at it the other day, and it's very few. 
And I remember, I remember years ago, I went, I was on a, a Fritz Lang kick. It was at the end of 2012, and I was trying to watch as many Fritz Lang movies as I possibly could. And I watched almost all of his silence that were available online on Netflix. They had everything. They had lots of like public domain films, lots of silent films. It all disappeared, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh, and can I do, I just wanted to do a brief shout out to another streaming service here yeah, that's fairly new. It's called Ovid, O-V-I-D. And um, they have international films, art house films, independent documentaries, lots of really, really interesting um, films that you can't find anywhere. And they recently uh, added a, f- a classic film I had never heard of called Olivia from 1951. It's directed by a, a woman director from France, Jacqueline Audrey. Um, it stars, uh, Simone Simon and, um, it's a, it's, it's a film that people haven't, people haven't seen in many years. It was recently restored and they just put it on their, um, streaming service. It's the only classic film they have, but it's quite a gem. So I recommend that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, there were just a couple more things I wanted to quickly bring up. So I wanted to talk a bit about, uh, Sight and Sound magazine, which is the British Film Institute's film magazine. As I said earlier, I'm kind of concerned at this moment in time about printed publications, and I've read Sight and Sound for as long as I can remember. It's one of the highlights of my month, honestly, is the day the magazine comes with a letterbox, and this is a magazine that consistently publishes extremely high-quality criticism and commentary from a broad range of voices. Now, it covers the contemporary worldwide scene, but it also publishes a lot to do with classic films. So just off the top of my head, I remember just in the past year or two, there have been great features on stars like Cary Grant and Joan Crawford and Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, it's also a good source for book reviews and DVD and Blu-ray reviews. So I'd encourage people who haven't uh, read Sight and Sound before to check it out. And they published something last week on their website about their plans during this crisis, which involved publishing a bit less frequently in the short term, as well as they're doing some things in you know to do with online newsletters and stuff like that. So I've been sorry to see something like Film Comment magazine recently went on an indefinite hiatus. And I dearly hope Sight and Sound can come out of the present situation relatively unscathed. But, I mean, as you know, Raquel, you work in publishing, but it's just a very perilous time for, for such companies, I think. No, it's true, especially with, I mean, all so many movie productions being, you know, halted and a lot of uh, film premieres being put off to other times. There's not a lot of content for, especially for um, publications that cover new releases. They, they don't really have much to discuss. And also next year, we might see fewer new films altogether because of all those halted productions. So I am definitely worried about those publications in their future. And just the last thing I wanted to discuss quickly was Disney Plus, which mm. I know has been launched in the US for quite some time now, but it only yes. recently launched in the UK about, I don't know, about three weeks ago, I think. Now, I wouldn't have signed up under normal times, I don't think. I think we did a Mary Poppins episode of the podcast. I talked a bit about my objections to Disney on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are, you know, I've got a four-year-old bouncing off the walls. It's started to seem like more of a good idea. Um, so obviously, you've got all the classic Disney animated films on there, you know, Snow White, Pinocchio, Dumbo, etc. The live action films like Mary Poppins. And then all the more recent stuff, you know, Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel, etc. So it's kind of nice having having all them in one place and mm-hmm. my, there's a lot, a lot there my daughter can enjoy a lot my son can enjoy one thing i appreciate is the inclusion of things like the mickey mouse animated shorts so my daughter absolutely adored steamboat willie and oh. uh, you know, we've added a few others to a watch list we've got on there that's nice um, so yeah i'm not sure if it's comprehensive but they've 
got a nice selection, it looks like, anyway. Now, the negative side is, one thing I really regret about Disney Plus is the absence of films that they've acquired from, you know, since the Fox takeover. Oh, yes. Yeah, so there are some on there. So The Sound of Music is on there, for for example. Uh, but they're few and far between. And I, I don't know, I feel like it's not too much of an ask for them to have a big Fox section on there. It's something I'd appreciate, certainly. I mean, I don't know, that was my big concern with the Disney Fox takeover, that Disney was only really interested in certain key properties, and yeah. most of the things would kind of fall by the wayside. However, I know we don't get Hulu in the UK, which is owned by Disney, so I don't know if they're offering a lot of Fox stuff in the US. Um, do you know about that, Raquel? No, I haven't. I've never actually subscribed to Hulu. There's so many streaming services. I mean, like I could go broke just trying to subscribe to everything. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not aware of what they have. But who knows? They might. Uh, maybe I'll be. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm being optimistic here. Maybe they'll add more Fox properties on there. Um, but yeah, they've ever since that merger. I feel like they've really neglected Fox, which has a really mm. rich history of films. So we'll see. Yeah, because like a few months ago, there were really worrying reports of Disney stopping cinema owners screening, yeah. like you know, screenings of old Fox films and things like that. And yeah. I don't know, I just wish it wasn't the case. But hey, all right. So what Raquel and I thought would be a good idea is to not just recommend some specific films, although we will do that. But categories. Well, this is Raquel's idea actually. Categories <laughs> of films that might appeal to people at this moment in time. And we've got, I think, 10 categories in total, most of them from Raquel, but a few from me as well. So yeah, what what was the thinking behind this, Raquel? So I was trying to think of watching films with a purpose. You know, like, what is it that you're mm -hmm. craving right now? What is it that you need right now from your movies? So instead of just letting, you know, a streaming service pick for you, watch something that you're really craving at the moment. So uh, and that's something I do in my everyday, if, if it's something that I'm working on for a project or something that I'm just really interested in or something that I need um, emotionally at the moment, I try to watch with purpose. So that's that's the, the reasoning behind my categories. <laughs> that was the impetus. Okay, so I've, I've, uh, we know the category, each of us knows the categories we've selected. We don't know the films and... We're not entirely sure where the other person is going with these, I think. So this is, this will be fun for us, at least. <laughs> so let's do a couple from you, Raquel. And then, yeah, then I can do one and, and we'll do it like that. So, yeah, what's the first one you've come up with? So my first one is films for the armchair traveler. So a lot of us are staying at home. We're in quarantine. We're in isolation. We're not going anywhere. And I'm just thinking of all those trips I was planning for this year canceled. So if I want to take a trip somewhere, you can do that through classic movies. And my recommendation for this category is Lawrence of Arabia. Um, you know, David Lean's oh, yeah. like epic, you know, uh, a World War One drama, uh, Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, great cast, um, filmed in Jordan, Spain, and Morocco, wonderful cinematography, those beautiful shots of the desert, um, brilliant use of color and imagery, amazing soundtrack, um, it could, I mean, and also if you've never watched the film and you have a bunch of time now, <laughs> now's the time to watch this one. <laughs> so it just, I mean, yeah. something like Lawrence of Arabia can really transport you to another time and place. And it's just so visually stunning that it just, it's almost like you're going on a trip through a movie. So that's, that's my recommendation for that, that category. <laughs> Yeah, so when you told me this title for this category, um, what it called to mind for me is like, we talked a bit about um, the appeal of the early James Bond films on the podcast last year, and I was thinking a lot of them, it is exactly that, it's to 
it's this kind of window onto the rest of the world and they're set in places like Jamaica and all that kind of thing. And yeah, maybe that appeal has come back at a time when we're all suddenly kind of rooted in the, you know, we're right. kind of confined to our houses. So yeah, I think that's a great category. So what's the next one? So my next category is films for time travelers. A lot of us don't want to be living at this time right now. This is a very <laughs> tough time. We don't want to be in 2020. We want to be somewhere else. So um, one thing that classic movies offers is basically they're, they're, it's like time capsules, you know, of the past. So one thing um, I was going to recommend is More the Merrier from 1943, directed by George Stevens, stars Gene Arthur, Joel McRae, Charles Coburn. It's a very sweet comedy. Um, it's a romantic comedy, and it's set in World War II during the housing shortage. Um, so a lot of people were uh, working for the war effort and moving to Washington, D.C., and there was a housing shortage. So that's kind of the opposite of what we're going through right now, which mm-hmm. is um, <laughs> everyone packed yeah. in a very small space <laughs> where we have the opposite problem. <laughs> but basically, Gene Arthur has an apartment and both Joel McRae and Charles Coburn need somewhere to stay because all the hotels and all the apartments are booked up. Um, and so they're in in tight quarters. And... Um, it's it's interesting just because it takes us to another era. This is the 1940s, World War II. So it's a totally different type of world. And also it's just like a really fun, sweet comedy. So it's it's a nice um, trip to the past and you'll enjoy yourself watching it. And it was remade in the 60s with Cary Grant as Walk, Don't Run from 1966. And that was set in the Summer Olympics that were being hosted in Tokyo. So you could also watch that as a follow-up and do a time travel trip to Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so when you mentioned this category title to me, uh, Films for Time Travelers, I didn't know where you were going with this. I was wondering, (laughs) does she mean mean films set in a period uh, location or in a period setting, or does she mean films involving time travel? I kind of thought, well, there's a subgenre of films that incorporates both of those. And I was Mm. thinking of King Arthur films. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of films like Knights at the Round Table from 1953, you know, the classic story, and this film is Rob- with Robert Taylor, Ava Gardner, and Mel Ferrer. really plays up the love triangle aspect of that story. But then you can also get King Arthur stories like A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, um, which is a Mark Twain story, but there was a film in 49 with Bing Crosby. Uh, it's about a 20th century mechanic who bumps his head and he ends up in 6th century Britain. So that's my kind of contribution to that category anyway. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's, I think you're right. It speaks to the broader theme of escape, doesn't it? It's like, let's get as far away from 2020 as we possibly can. Right. So, I, think, yeah, I think it's a great idea. The first category, category I'm going to put forward is films by your favorite director that you haven't got around to watching. Mm. So I don't know about you, Raquel, but when I find a director whose body of work I enjoy, what I tend to do is start with the sort of acknowledged classics and then sort of work outward from there. And then after a certain point, it can sometimes feel like you've seen everything you need to. But I think you can kind of limit yourself that way. Often there's a lot to enjoy in a filmmaker's kind of lesser work. So one such film I saw not too long ago is Hatari uh, from 1962, a film directed by Howard Hawks, uh, starring John Wayne. Uh, This film's about a group of professional game catchers in Africa. I mean, there's undoubtedly a reason why this is not considered one of the best Howard Hawks films. It's it's quite bloated, honestly. It's over two and a half hours long. The plot isn't necessarily first rate. 
the, the main female character is played by Elsa Martinelli, and she's just not one of the more memorable kind of Hawksian women, especially you know, when you compare her to people like Angie Dickinson or Rosalind Russell or whomever. Mm-hmm. But it's still a Hawks film, so it's an interesting study in group dynamics. Wayne gave, uh, he gave some great performances for Howard Hawks. This is a good one. So I wouldn't recommend this. You know, I wouldn't recommend you watch this before you've seen things like Red River, Rio Bravo, His Girl Friday, and so on. Mm-hmm. But if you've seen all of those, if you've seen all the ones that come up on the best film lists, you'll get something out of this. Um, what, what about you, Raquel? Do you do you tend to sort of do what I do and start with acknowledged classics and then move outward from there? Or how, how do you approach seeing a director's films? Well, I mean, I also do that with actors, too. Like, recently yeah. I was diving into Sidney Poitier's work, and um, I have done, like, I've pretty wa- much watched almost every single Fritz Lang film that is available, except yeah. for a couple of his, um, his silent uh, films that are lost. But yeah, no, I do that. I start with the classics because, or the, 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 the most critically acclaimed or the, the ones that everyone discusses first, um, especially if I haven't seen them. And then I go, and then I just, I don't even go in sequential order. I just try to watch things that interest me and then keep mm-hmm. going from there. And then I try to fill in the holes as I go along. So, um, yeah, I kind of do it the same way you did. All right, so I'm very, I'm very interested in the next category. So, what have you next? <laughs> so, um, my next category is films for the morbidly curious. And <laughs> yeah. I know when this whole pandemic started, the first thing I watched—this um, is not my recommendation, but this is just an example. The first thing I watched was *Outbreak* from 1995, which is about mm. a viral <laughs> yeah. epidemic. Um, <laughs> so that's something I do when I'm going through something. Is I try to watch something that is. E- People in a situation that's much worse than mm. what I'm going through at the moment, or much worse than the situation that's happening. And my recommendation for this category is Soylent Green from 1973, oh, which uh, <laughs> yeah. directed by Richard Fleischer and starring um, Charlton Heston. It's a dystopian thriller set in 2022, which is only two years from now. <laughs> and it's um, it, it's set in New York City. It's it, the world's like uh, overpopulated, suffering from pollution, and everyone's um, relegated to eating these wafers, basically soylent wafers. And then we discover what the green one actually is. Um, and uh, and it, it's it's really interesting because it's the opposite of what we're dealing with right now. They're dealing with just too many people in one space, whereas we're dealing with trying to get out and trying to separate ourselves. But also, they're in a much worse situation than we are. So I just I watched that recently just just out of my morbid curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) That's very interesting. I mean, like, yeah, you mentioned Outbreak. And I know, um, hasn't the Steven Soderbergh film Contagion has had, you know, a lot of people kind of suddenly seek it out as well. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, It's understandable, I think. But um, I'd imagined you were going somewhere slightly different with this category. So I was thinking, what would I suggest as a film for the morbidly curious? And the film I came up with is called Black Friday from 1940, um, which is a film with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi. Now, this is a film where the brain of a gangster is transplanted into the body of an English professor. <laughs> so it's um, it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde story. I saw this for the first time a few months ago, and it's not as fun as that concept suggests it will be. But I, I thought it might interest the morbidly curious. But I like where you took this category better than what I was thinking. To be honest. <laughs> um, so what's your next one? 
Okay, so my next one is films that make us laugh, which is something I had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Just going to, like, especially if you're feeling down, watching a good comedy that will just make you chuckle. It'll make you feel better after an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and my choice for this category is Ball of Fire from 1941. Oh, yeah. I recently watched this. I, I mean, I've seen it several times before, but I revisited it with uh, the Criterion Channel because it's available on there right now. Great cast, Barbara Stanwyck, Gary Cooper, S.Z. Sakal, someone I absolutely love. It's it's almost like a twist on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You have these seven professors who are trying to create this encyclopedia of, um, of slang terms. And Gary Cooper is like a nerdy professor and he meets Barbara Stanwyck, who's like this very glamorous um, nightclub singer who's like trying to run away from her mob boss who's um, who's very oppressive play, uh, played by Dana Andrews it's it's a funny screwball comedy it's very charming um, it's yeah I highly recommend it if you just need a good laugh I mean I whole, wholeheartedly endorse this category I think it's really <laughs> true and um, when you sent me the the title uh, films that make us laugh. The first thing that came to mind was the make them laugh routine by Donald, o- Donald O'Connor and singing oh, in the rain. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's definitely important at a time like this. And that's why um, I'm planning for Some Like It Hot to be the next episode of the podcast. Because I think at a time Ooh. like this, we just need a film to discuss that we can just kind of, you know, relax and have a laugh about. So That's a great one. Yeah. All being well, that's coming to you uh, next week, listeners. My next category is films with long running times that you've been putting off. Ah, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he- here's the thing. I-, I have to have started watching a film by 8pm. After 8pm, it just doesn't happen. And where possible, I like it to be over by 10pm. So I- I'd love to stay up late watching films. I-, I really would. But unfortunately, I've got a daughter who just doesn't like to sleep. You know, she doesn't, <laughs> doesn't oh. like to go to sleep. She doesn't like to stay in bed in the morning. So the result is, I think, that we end up watching a lot of films that have about a 90 minute runtime. But you're missing a lot of great stuff that way, or I am. So my pledge is to try to stop doing this. And I, I tried to start this one last night so I could recommend a film for this category. Because I've got films recorded off the TV going back about four years, and I'm just trying to clear some of that backlog uh, while I'm at home. So I'd recorded Cat Baloo from 1965 off TCM Movies. Uh, TCM mm-hmm. is called TCM Movies here, which drives oh, okay. me mad. Because t- <laughs> turn, the classic, turn the Classic Movies, Movies, that means. Um <laughs> Now, the recording length for this film was 2 hours 35. So I was thinking, yeah, okay, so there'll be a few commercials we can fast forward. So I was expecting it to be about 2 hours 15, 2 hours 20. But weirdly, the film ended 2 hours into the recording. So it only actually has a 1 hour 37 minute runtime. So I've been putting it off for no reason at all. Oh, wow. So um, it doesn't quite fit the category. But I had a fun time watching it. So my pledge is to watch The Best Years of Our Lives very soon. So oh, the film yes. from 1946, directed by William Wyler, starring Myrna Loy, Frederick March, Dana Andrews, uh, and others. And I recorded this a long time ago, too. The length of the recording is 3 hours 23, and apparently the running time of the film is 2 hours 52. So I have to find a way. I might have to split this one over two nights or something, but so one way or another, I'll work it out. But um, do, do you ever have the same qualms about running times? Does it bother you? Yeah, sometimes it does, just because, you know, especially with technology these days, our attention spans are shorter. And also, like, with a busy schedule, you have other things to do. It's hard to devote two, three, four hours to a film. So sometimes with the longer films, I have to break them up. Um, Yeah. And, or I, and also, you know, after a long day at work, it's tough to like stay up late. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, I'll fall is, asleep yeah. um, on the sofa, and I don't like to do that. I don't like to fall asleep during movies. Yeah. So yeah, I will break up the longer films, but I'm definitely not scared to tackle a longer film as long as I can give myself an intermission. 
Yeah, I think the longest film I've ever seen is the Claude Landsman Holocaust documentary Shower, which is about 10 hours long. Wow! But um, spread over the course, I think I watched that over five nights. <laughs> but yeah. Oh my goodness. It's a really good documentary if anyone gets the chat. I mean, it might not be the most uplifting subject matter at this time, but it's a very important film. But um, yeah, what's your next category, Raquel? So my next category is films featuring something you're currently deprived of. So mm. um, this could fit in a lot of different um different scenarios um if you're missing going to a restaurant you know or going on a date or going to the movies or like (laughs) anything that's shown in a film for me i picked uh lonesome from 1928 it's a part talkie so it's a mostly silent film with some talking sequences added in it's directed by pal fejos and it stars barbara kent and glenn tryon and it's about two people who live in new york city and it's about the hustle and bustle, and it's a lot of crowds. That's something we don't have right now, is crowds. <laughs> we can't be that, that close to people, but it's 4th of July weekend. They go to Coney Island. It's a really crowded beach. Um, they go to a carnival. It's very crowded. There's so many people in these shots. Like, they, they, they threw hundreds and hundreds of extras. It's not shot on location, but it kind of gives you, like, uh, it, it kind of gives you the sense of New York City when it was bustling. Right now, it's not so much. Um, so something like that is really great for this time because it shows you something that you took for granted before, just having so many people around you, especially mm-hmm. now when, I mean, just walking down the street, uh, when I have to walk um, my dog outside, I see another person coming and I have to I have to cross the street on the other side. It's awful. So something like that, it allows me to remember the days when I could be close to other people. And that's, am I right in thinking that's a film you wrote about for the Library of Congress? Is that correct? Yes, it is. That was the first film I ever wrote for them. And I'm, I'm just... Just thrilled that now my article is available yeah. on their website, probably permanently. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I saw this category title, I was thinking about, like you say, it can mean all sorts of things for yeah. different people. I was thinking about the rhythms of family life. And the film it made ah. me think of was Meet Me in St. Louis, you know, which goes through all the different seasons, like the Christmas celebration, you know, going out trick-or-treating etc and i was just thinking at the time when normal life's kind of on hold it'll be nice when we finally do get back to that and we can kind of you know plan our lives around the calendar again um like you know here we are speaking at the start of easter weekend and it's going to be a very unusual easter weekend for those who celebrate it you know that's true so yeah what, what what's the next one um, so this kind of goes uh, along with what you had recommended for um, films from your favorite director. Oh, yeah. um, films for the completest. So basically, mm-hmm. if if there's something you've been tackling, like um, you want to watch a, a director's entire filmography or your favorite actor, you want to watch those films that you haven't seen yet. Like I really wanted to see as many Cindy Poitier films as possible. And one thing I did is my one of my... Um, holes in my film history knowledge is the 1970s. Um, and I've been really trying to tackle as many 1970s films that I've never seen before. So this is something I've been doing through streaming services and just um, ordering things online and to have uh, delivered here. So uh, recently I watched uh, They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, which is the 1970 mm-hmm. remake of In the Heat of the Night with um, Cindy Poitier. And I've been watching some black exploitation films like Shaft and Superfly and Across 110th mm-hmm. Street. Um, I also saw the hilarious Neil Simon um, 
um, film with Jack Lemmon and Anne Bancroft, Prisoner of Second Avenue. Um, some of these I was I was uh, watching also for an article I was writing about New York City in the 1970s, which um, my article just got published. So I was so excited because it what was great about mm-hmm. it was these are films. I wasn't familiar with and I spent um, the like a lot of my time in quarantine watching these films studying learning about this era and it was such a great project and that's something too especially when you're isolated giving yourself something to do especially maybe if you're not working or if you have a reduced work schedule or you're spending a lot of time at home give yourself a project and something like this is is really fun I had a lot of fun doing it so I definitely recommend other people do it too. For me, for this category, yeah. So like I said, I'm trying to clear off this backlog of recordings I've got. And there are a few Humphrey Bogart films I've been meaning to get around to. Oh. And uh, yeah, long-term listeners will know I'm a big Bogart fan. And the next one uh, I've got lined up is The Heart of a Fall, which I haven't managed to see yet. So that's my um, that's what I'm going to do in this category. Uh, I'm My final category is films set in confined spaces. So... I appreciate this category is not for everyone right now, <laughs> but I think I think there is some interest in seeing these narratives that unfold in a restricted number of locations, or even a single location. And one reason I think that is that I've noticed a slight spike in downloads for the episode I did on 12 Angry Men, for instance. Oh. In terms of my rec- recommendation, I think that Alfred Hitchcock was obviously very interested in stories of this type. Mm. So I'm thinking of films like Rear Window or Dial M for Murder, Rope. But the one I'm going to recommend is Lifeboat from 1944. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this film is about a group of survivors from a torpedoed ship who find themselves at close quarters with one of the men who sunk uh, sunk their ship. It's from a story by John Steinbeck, and it has an interesting cast. Uh, Tallulah Bankhead is top build. You've also got people like Kim Cronin uh, on the boat as well. It kind of fits in my earlier category, in a sense. The one about favourite directors. Like, I don't think this is necessarily the best Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. Although, it's interesting, he was nominated for Best Director for it that year. But it is a strong piece of work. And it's a demonstration of how like the limitations of this kind of story can actually be a productive thing. And Hitchcock gets a lot of tension out of this situation. And obviously, it's fun to see just how he manages to fit in his director's cameo. And uh, it's a fun one in this film. So yeah, Lifeboat is my uh, my pick for this category. <laughs> What about you, Raquel? I imagine you might be staring clearer films that in confined spaces, or, or what? Do they, do they appeal to you? Um, well, when I'm feeling morbidly curious, that would totally yeah. fit. <laughs> Lifeboat yeah. has always been a difficult watch for me. I don't know. I think I just imagine myself in that situation and I start to panic. I can watch something like Christmas in Connecticut where they're only confined to the boat for like the very beginning of the film. <laughs> you know, Dennis Morgan is, you know, drifting uh, drifting at sea with his, uh, his mate. Uh, and that's only just a brief part of the movie. So I can probably handle that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if my calculations are correct i think we've just got the one more category to go is that right is it just one more yeah so my last one is films for the romantic so i'm sure very few people are dating right now or going on dates with their significant others it's very tough or they're just you know uh wanting a bit of romance to take to sweep them off their feet um and my recommendation for this is brief encounter from 1945 um directed by david lean um, an absolutely like just heartbreaking and very romantic film about an extramarital affair. And it's just, it's something if you just need a good cry <laughs> and you just need something that, that pulls on your heartstrings, this is a great, this is a great film to get lost in. And a great example of like British stoicism as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I've got an obvious one for this category, but I think it's obvious but appropriate for the current time. So Casablanca. 
Oh, yes. Because the ending of the film is all about being apart from someone you love for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And I think, sadly, that's the case for a lot of people at the moment, isn't it? Like, lots of people in relationships who don't necessarily live together, you know, who can't mm-hmm. be together. And it's not easy being away from our partners. But sadly, for a lot of us, it's the right thing to do for, you know, for the community right now. Yeah. So um, that's, that's what sprung to mind uh, for me. Great. Well, I hope that was fun. I think, listeners, if you have other suggestions for the categories we've put forward... Uh, I'd certainly love to hear them. So yeah, please get in touch on Twitter. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what people will pick. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Raquel, it would be a shame to let you go without talking about some books, I think. Of course. (laughs) um, What are some books you'd recommend to people at the moment? And I guess, um, I don't know, are you thinking of new releases here or, or what? So my recommendation is audiobooks. This is not yeah. something I've discussed too much um, uh, about. And this is something I highly recommend to people. Not just any audiobooks, but memoirs written by film stars or filmmakers read by themselves. There's something really very intimate about listening to somebody mm. tell you their life story. It's really interesting. And I have a few recommendations. These yep. are audiobooks that are available on Audible, on different um, audiobook websites. I don't know if they're uh, still available on audio CDs and MP3 CDs, but you, if you, you know, you're old fashioned and like to put it in a CD player, you might be able to find them online too, um, that way. But my, I have a few recommendations. My first one is Mm -hmm. The Good, The Bad, and Me in My Anecdotage by Eli Wallach. And Eli Wallach is no longer with us, but you can download this audiobook and he will tell you his life story. And, um, it's just wonderful. And the, the title obviously is a reference to the film, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But he, but it's also indicative of his story. He tells you the good and the bad about his life and his career, his marriage, his marriage to his wife, um, uh, actress Anne Jackson and, um, pretty much everything. He has an amazing voice. It's, he, he recorded it very late in his life. Um, so he has this kind of gravelly old man voice is just really, really charming. And he's just so sweet. And the stories are really amazing. I highly recommend listening to that one. That's my favorite one of all the ones I've listened to. Um, if any of you like Dick Cavett, he had mm-hmm. a talk show um, back in the 70s. And he interviewed everybody you can imagine. He's met every classic film star you can imagine. He has two uh, audiobooks. One is called Talk Show and one is called Brief Encounters. They're based on his books that were um, collections of his New York Times columns. A lot of them are political um, essays. So if you're not liberal, you might want to skip this. But uh, he also he also um, talks about meeting or his friendships with people. He has a great story about Basil Rathbone that gets me every time I listen to it. He talks about Betty Davis, Robert Mitchum, Stan Laurel, Groucho Marx, a whole bunch of people in his books. Also, Dick Cavett, I mean, he cut his teeth writing for, for like Jack Parr and all of them. So yeah. he's super witty, very cutting, very charming, very, very funny. It's And he has a great voice, too. So those are fun to, to listen to. And if you need a memoir that will just make you laugh because, uh, because it's great storytelling, really funny and charming, I recommend Carl Reiner's 
memoir, I Remember Me, which he reads. And I just crack up listening to that. It's just very sweet, very charming. He just tells stories about, you know, him growing up, about World War II, about his TV shows, movies, his kids, his friendship, his longtime friendship with Mel Brooks. There's lots of really great anecdotes in that Um that memoir. And if you tool around on these websites, especially Audible has a lot of them, there are memoirs um, by Michael Caine, um, Julie Andrews, Piper Laurie, Christopher Plummer, all read by them. And I really recommend getting the ones read by them. One on my wish list right now is Lauren Bacall's memoir, By Myself and Then Some. It's abridged, but she reads it. And that's really special. So that's something I'll be listening to in quarantine. Yeah, now audiobooks are a bit of a uh, an area I've not really looked into too much. I mean, I, I listened to a few audiobooks as a child, but not since then. So this could be a good way for me to entertain myself on my daily exercise mm. <laughs> at the minute. My question is this, like, does an audiobook, does it cover everything that the printed book would, or is it abridged for time reasons? Like, how does that generally work? So very few of them are abridged. The Lauren Bacall one was is abridged. It's the By Myself and Then Some. Yeah. I think it's also a very big memoir. And I don't know if she, I don't know exactly when she recorded it, but she might not have wanted to have read the whole thing. But for the most part, like the Eli Wallach one is about nine hours and he reads the whole book. Um, Carl Reiner's is also around that time. It's about nine or 10 hours. He reads the whole book. So uh, the majority of them, are are the entire book and yeah like you said these are great for um listening to while you're out exercising um if if you're you know doing chores around the house or you just need some quiet time you just put some headphones on and listen to a story (laughs) yeah great stuff yeah i've i haven't got recommendations but i've got a couple of books i wanted to tell people about that i intend to read imminently so Mm -hmm. i'll just do that quickly so the next classic film book I'm going to read is called Best Actress, The History of Oscar-Winning Women uh, by Stephen Tappert. I'm not sure if it's Tappert or Tapert, but hopefully I'll find out soon because I'm planning to talk to him for the podcast um, in the coming weeks. But this is a book published last year by Rutgers University Press, and it looks, um, you know, very lavishly put together just from the quick glance I've had. Um, I'm also trying to clear the pile of books I've got at home. I don't know about you, Rika, but I tend to acquire more books when I have time to read. Oh, you know? yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one that's been gathering a bit of dust is called uh, Love Lucy by Lucille Ball. And oh. um, yeah, I bought this secondhand last year. Haven't got around to it yet, but this was published in 1996. So several years after Ball's death. As I understand it, it's actually a project that began in the 1960s. It was going to be in like an as told to autobiography. Uh, as told to a woman called Betty Hannah Hoffman. But apparently it was a difficult process for Ball. She didn't really enjoy doing it, is what I, what, from what I can gather, and it was eventually shelved. And then shortly before she died in 1989, she had agreed to work on another autobiography, but she just didn't have enough time left. So afterwards, the 1960s project was resurrected by family members uh, and ultimately released, like I say, in 1996. So that's all I know going in. I don't know if it's any good, but I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, I'll be reading that. And I think if I say that on the podcast, it'll make sure I don't let that slide <laughs> much longer. Um, great, Raquel. So thanks for being with me today. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Where can people find you online if they would like to? Oh, I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, you can find me. My If you're interested in classic movies, I have a website called Out of the Past Blog. 
dot com. Um, that's the URL. And I also have a YouTube channel um, attached to that. If you just look up Out of the Past blog on YouTube, you'll find me. Um, and I'm hoping to do more videos now that I have a lot more time at home. Um, so look for those coming soon. I also review... Um, newer releases, mostly indies, foreign films, documentaries over on kelmovies.com. I have an Instagram at kelmovies where I just, you know, uh, share stuff about movies of all types. And the, the best place you can find me is on Twitter at Raquel Stetcher. Um, and I love to talk movies on there and I love to, to just connect with other classic movie fans. Brilliant. Thanks, Raquel. Um, you can find the podcast in the usual places. So predominantly on Twitter, at Movie Palace Pod, also on Facebook and Instagram. As I mentioned earlier, the next episode should be Some Like It Hot with my friend Tony Black. The plan is to be back with you this time next week. So I hope you can join me next time, listeners, when the curtain rises once again at the Movie Palace. Previously on the We Made This Network. The time is now, a millennium podcast. What did you think to that element of the episode? It was subtly played and Lara does give an explanation later on in the episode that could be just a standard um, answer to it. But how did you think that that played throughout the episode? Yeah, I think it played okay. But I think, again, the like the, the, the other issues with this episode, I, it does feel kind of non-committal. Mm. Uh, because you, you're right. When you see him on the phone, and he's, he's a, you, almost like a his face changes. He's like, oh yeah, I can I can feel this one. Don't say the c word. Is it possible within our lifetime that we could see a person on Mars? I will tell you now that if you know a child who if you're listening to this in england is in like reception or year one or if you're listening to this in america your nephew is the age that we expect will be the first human on mars do you know he seemed quite bright when he was very little i said he could have a job that doesn't exist for us yet by Uh the time he's an adult so maybe it is Martian astronaut. Mm-hmm. The X-Cast, an X-Files podcast. It feels very much like it's kind of a placeholder. Like there's a lot of this episode feels like it was kind of mapped out and there's like ideas and there's like little index cards on a board and a sense of we'll come back and we'll fill that in later, except we ran out of time to just run with first idea, best idea. Um, and a lot of things that you're right, where the things work as concepts, rather than as characters where Fowley works as a concept rather than a character where you can tell that they needed uh, something to serve as inverted commas the key to the X-Files but they couldn't figure out what it was so just make it a psychic kid check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network